Beloved, would you open your Bibles, please, to Judges? And we're going to be studying, as you well know, more in the life of Samson. And so I want to just begin to tell you, to remind you, that last week Donna introduced us to Samson and she said he was a proud, impulsive, lustful, covetous, and unteachable man, a leader, a judge in Israel. Twice in our chapters that we studied this week, he is described as having led Israel for 20 years, but there is nothing in this account, sadly, that describes him as a man who takes up the mantle of leadership and leads out Israel against the Philistines. In fact, it is a story of compromise and carnality. It is the story of a man who had the power of God resting on his life and refused to walk in repentance and faith, choosing to live a lustful, carnal life. Unless you hear me judge him harshly, May I speak into your life to say today that every one of us, every one of us struggles with exactly the same thing. So in and out, yes, we do. I'm, I'm glad you girls are with me. Yes, some of you are right there on it. Yes, indeed. Because it's easy to look into this story and say, well, poor old Solomon, didn't he make a mess of things and fail to apply it to our lives? So in order to make this as practical to our life experience as possible, I'm going to open with something that is not in your notes. So don't spend your time looking. Just please listen to me. Beloved, we can look at Samson's life and see the picture of the carnal believer. He had a call of God on his life, and yet he would not walk in obedience to it until the very, very end of his life. And so as we look at it, I want us to examine our own hearts to see where we might be in danger of doing the same thing because, beloved, it is possible to have a saved soul, to be genuinely converted, to have met the Lord on his terms of repentance and faith, and yet through disobedience and carnality, live a life that is wasted. Do you get that? And beloved, we are capable, even as believers, hear me, to do everything an unbeliever is capable of doing because of the flesh that dwells within us. The flesh. Beloved, if you and I can understand the concept of the flesh today as we study the life of Samson, I am hoping it will translate into you being able to begin to put this truth into your life. The call of God is on your life as a believer to walk in holiness and righteousness all the days of your life doing good works of righteousness to honor and glorify the Father, to be about kingdom business. Can I get an amen? That's the call that's on our life. What causes us to stumble so regularly? I believe this after 40 years of walking with the Lord. I believe this more now than ever before that most of us, most of us stumble into temptation and sin, not because of the temptation of the world, although it's very real. And not because of the temptation of Satan. It's very real. 
But I'm here to tell you, I believe the majority of our stumbling into sin is because of our own flesh. We're our worst enemies. If God were right this moment to strike Satan dead, and he's not going to, but if he did, and if he transplanted us by ourselves without any phone or social media or anything like that and put us on a desert island, now I know that cannot be. I don't have earrings on, y'all. You'll notice I've had to quit wearing them, so bracelets will be my signature from here on out. <laughs> but let me just see if I can adjust myself. I don't want to distract you. And so, beloved, if we were on a desert island completely by ourselves, cut off from the world, do you understand we would still sin? Because of the enemy that lingers within us. So hold your place there in Judges, and we're going to take a very quick detour because of time, and because, because of time, and because I'm talking as fast as I know how to talk, turn over, if you will, holding your place there to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Now listen to me as I try to give you just a bit of understanding here. The old man... The old person you were prior to conversion has died. Got it? The old man died, but he left behind the residual of habit patterns that are so deeply ingrained into our brain, into our thought process, that we will habitually return to them. Is anybody getting that with me? Are you tracking with me? Habit patterns left behind. The old man died, but beloved, he left behind residually habit patterns and behaviors that were deeply ingrained and trained in depravity. Does that make sense to you? And so when we're trying now to walk in the Spirit, and we love God. I mean, obviously you have come out. It's about 42 degrees below zero, and there's a threat of snow, for heaven's sake. You could be at the grocery store buying up all the bread and milk. But here you are. So I'm assuming you love God. I love God, and I hate the flesh. I've got to tell you that in Christ, we are to have the aroma of Christ saturating our soul so that as we walk throughout the course of our day, everyone is smelling the sweet incense, the sweet fragrance of Christ, and not the stench of the flesh. I illustrated that with a skunk several weeks ago. Beloved, the flesh is what is causing you and I to stumble. And to the degree we give into it, to that degree, we will walk in carnality. You with me? Excuse me, are you with me? There you go. There you go. Now, Paul himself struggled with this early on in his Christian life. And he wrote about it in Romans chapter 7. Sometime this week, spend some time reading Romans 6, 7, and 8. But seven deals with the flesh. And I'm just going to pull out a couple of verses. Perhaps you'd like to mark them. But in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, Paul says this, For what I'm doing, I don't understand. For what I'm not practicing, for I am not practicing, rather, what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Can anybody join me in that testimony? And what is the deal with that? I mean, we love God. So why is this not easier to walk in obedience to the Lord? 
he goes on to say in verse 20, I'm doing the very thing I don't want to do. So it's no longer me who is doing it, but sin that dwells within me. He's referring to the flesh. Some translations calls it the indwelling principle of sin, some the principle of sin, some the flesh. Beloved, this is what he's talking about. That you and I, as we walk with God in practical terms, living out what has happened to us at the moment of conversion, the Spirit of God has moved in, we have the full revelation of God's Word, we still continue to blow it. Now, I just want to say, if it's any encouragement to you young moms, I've discovered that it's a little bit easier, just a little bit, to walk in the Spirit once those children got grown up. Anybody else? <laughs> now, it's not all together, but I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And I could tell you story after story after story after story of how the Lord tested me through those little people and the flesh kept answering. Some of you understand what I'm saying. So I'm not suggesting that you wait 20 years until they leave home. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that you and I are called to walk in the Spirit, in the Spirit of God and not in the flesh. But Paul says there has to be some explanation here because I keep doing the thing I don't want to do. There's something living in me. Now the old man died, but he left behind residual habit patterns. The mind has been trained in depravity. And so you and I, when push comes to shove, tend to follow the path of least resistance, which is those habit patterns that we have learned. Now, if you'll flip over to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and do not be transformed to this world, but be transformed by the, this is the key to it all, renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that's good and acceptable and perfect beloved the mind must be renewed before the life can be transformed at the moment of conversion the Lord did not download the scripture into our brain we have to study to show ourselves approved. And beloved, this is where many Christians are falling apart. They do not know what the Word of God says. And you cannot obey what you do not know. And moms, you cannot teach your children what you have not learned. You understand that. And you and I cannot pray with fervency. Pounding heaven and pleading on the behalf of our children and grandchildren, our spouses and all the people in our lives, if we do not know what the will of God is, and it's only revealed in one place, and it's the Word. So why do we take this book so casually as if it has no effect on our life? And beloved, it is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. In Ephesians, I'm not going to have you turn there, just listen. Ephesians 5 tells us this, that we are to lay aside the old self. That is, he's dead, so quit dragging him around. He died, he's dead, put him away, and put away all of that corruption that remains in your brain, in your mind, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, that you might be, here's the same phrase, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. That is, get all dressed up in Jesus because the new self has been created in the likeness of God. So put him away. How do you do that? By renewing your mind. 
What does that look like? In Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, the scripture says this, Walk by the Spirit, you'll not carry out the deeds of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These two are in opposition one to another. That is, the flesh dwells within you, and right this moment is battling your spirit for control of your mind. And to the mind... When it is not renewed, beloved, you are going to fall into sin every time. I tell you, I think Satan must look at most of us and tell the demons, don't even bother with her. She'll take herself down. And it's true. It is true. Because we don't understand the flesh has to be crucified. We like to restore it. We like to fix it up. We like to dress it up like we do our pets. Make it look attractive. The flesh cannot be reformed. It must be crucified. Now that is the background for the study of Samson. If you will turn back to me now. And we're going to run through the story of Samson. I'll be commenting on how we see carnality played out in his life. The first thing I want to show you is what I call revenge. You will recall that Samson was a judge in Israel. And he had been called to begin to uh, rout the Philistines. And yet, one of the first adult decisions he makes is he sees one of their women and he wants her. And he tries to take her as his wife. But you remember there became this whole deal at the feast, the wedding feast. And by the way, in my study, I saw that the wedding feast, the word in the original language for feast, he made a feast, is the word for wine banquet. So not only is he violating God's laws, I tell you he has great disregard the Nazarite vow that he has taken. You know, I wonder if as an early in his early years that he was more obedient to this calling and more obedient to his parents. I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but at some point he decided enough's enough. And he's going to taste the fruit of the world and indulge his lust and so he takes his wife and that becomes a, a huge fight breaks out and he goes away mad and it begins telling us in uh, chapter 15 that he returns now to get his wife and in the original language he's going back to get his wife so he can sleep with her because he's not consummated the marriage he's left so mad and so he gets back there and what's happened the father-in-law has given or the father of the bride has given her to another man and he's furious and so the father-in-law says, look, I got another daughter. Only shows us the great disregard for women in that culture. It's despicable, absolutely despicable. Look in verse 3, and Samson said to them, he was so angry, this time I shall be blameless in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. That is, I'm coming hard after you, and I will hold myself blameless. Beloved, God had called him to rout the Philistines. But beloved, this is revenge, pure and simple. This is a private war, and you'll see that's been the, becomes the story of his life. And so he sets all of their fields on fire. They retaliate by uh, killing the bride and her father, burning them to death. And he is so mad. Look with me in verse 7. He says, since you act like this, I will surely take revenge on you. Beloved, he is not interested in fulfilling the call of God. He wants revenge. 
God clearly says vengeance is mine, I will repay. Do you know why? When you and I take revenge on someone else, we don't win and we don't do it well. God's vengeance is right and good according to the one true judge. And he says, I'm going after you for revenge. Again, we see that he is trying to, in his carnality, justify what he's about to do with some religious covering. Carnality, when you and I are walking in carnality, our motives are not pure, but because we want to fit well into the body of Christ, we will pretend, beloved. We will spin it, beloved. Until it comes out making us look good, making us look like we're walking in the ways of the Lord. He wanted revenge. Not only that, it says in verse 8, he struck them ruthlessly with a great slaughter. We don't know how many killed. And he went down and he lived in the cleft of the rock. The cleft of the rock in a city called Edom. The cleft of the rock. I could not get past that. Do you remember when Moses asked God, show me your glory? And God says, you, you can't see my glory, but I'll show you my goodness. And he put Moses in the cleft of the rock and covered him with his hands. Beloved, I believe that this was a place of encounter for Samson. I believe this was a place that could have been a place of repentance for him. A fresh encounter with God. A fresh calling. A fresh surrender. A fresh commitment. But that carnal-minded man would not. The cleft of the rock. And then his brothers, the men of Judah... They get very concerned because they're thinking, man, he's got them all stirred up over there. The Philistines are going to come after us and take us down, so we've got to capture him, and we'll just give him over to them. Now, what does that say about the nation? This is a God-appointed leader. Now, he's not acting like it, but they're not even respecting the position of authority and so they go to him and they bind him and they lead him down to the Philistines and it says that he when he saw the Philistines the Spirit of God came on him he broke free now beloved four times in his story it says the Spirit of the Lord came on him you will recall in the Old Testament the Spirit of God did not dwell inwardly as is the case with us after on this side of the cross at the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God was sent. Praise God. He lives within us. But at that time, it was a rare gift for the Spirit of God to come upon someone. And it was generally for a short time, a special touch for a special task. And so the Spirit of God came on him. And beloved, he gets supernatural strength. Now, instead of leveraging that to fulfill the call of God in his life, he picks up a jawbone. Now, part of the vow, the Nazarite vow, says they are to stay away from anything dead. Some commentators, and I do hate it when I can't get a consensus, but about half of them I read said that was only to a dead body they were to avoid. And half of them said, no, it also included a dead animal or death of any kind made them ceremoniously unclean. Now, we saw in Donna's teaching last week, he ate out of the carcass of a lion. That's not good. And then he gives it to his parents, and it says he didn't want them to know where it came from. 
I think that indicates he knew there was something wrong with what he was doing. And he didn't want to have to tell the whole story about the lion because you remember where he was? He was there at the vineyards. But the carnal Christian operates in secrets and they have learned to modify their outward behavior so that other people looking in on their life think they are quite godly. But I will tell you, you can operate in the flesh. You will lose your reward in heaven, believer. But you can't operate in the flesh. You can sing in the flesh. You can teach a lesson in the flesh. You can work in the nursery in the flesh. If you didn't start that way, you... Well, you can work with teenagers in the flesh. You can operate in your marriage in the flesh. Pretending... You are much more spiritual than you are. I'll tell you, one of the tricks, one of the tricks of the flesh is to convince you, you're just fine. You're doing great. That's great. Love it. You're doing great. When in reality, what you're doing is walking in the energy of the flesh, not the power of the spirit. And so he takes the jawbone. It was a fresh one. That means he had to touch a dead carcass. This was not a skeleton that had dried out in the sun. This was something fresh, freshly killed. And he takes it and he kills a thousand Philistines. Now, again, God had called him to destroy or at least to begin the routing of the Philistines. He would not complete it. This could have been a moment when he rallied the troops and began to step into the calling that was on his life, and yet he did not. In fact, it's sort of in your face, God, when he takes a a jawbone of the donkey and slays a thousand men. For all the men he has killed, he has not done one thing to fulfill the role of judge and leader of Israel. Do you see that? This is just his private war that he is waging against these people. And it says at the end of that battle, look with me if you would, in verse 18. He became very thirsty. That's an understatement, I'm quite certain. And he calls to the Lord and he says, You've given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? But the Lord, God, split the rock. He split, in verse 19, God split the hollow place that is in Lehi so that water came out. And Samson drank and his strength was renewed. Where else have we seen that? The rock bringing forth water. Beloved, when Moses cried out to God, we got to have water for these people, God told him. Strike the rock. Water will come out. Again, I believe this pictures another place where the call of repentance is quite clear. And he would not because he wanted physical water and was not thirsty for living. Water had no appetite for the things of God. Carnal, fleshly had an opportunity, I believe, over and over. In fact, I believe there were many other opportunities when God was calling him to walk in his ways, and he simply would not. 
And then we begin into 16, chapter 16, and oh my soul, it just gets worse. He went down to Gaza, which is one of the Philistines. Five, they had five major cities. This is one of them. And he saw a harlot there, and he went into her. We see a man that is operating fully in the flesh with no thought of consequences, no repentance. Beloved, this is carnality running wild. He was a leader in Israel. If you're in here today and you're a leader in any capacity within the body of Christ, I want to tell you this without apology. God holds you to a higher standard. Holds you to a higher standard. James says, you know, really? There shouldn't be that many of you wanting to be teachers of the word. Because much is respected of you. Much is required of you. And we see Samson just living out all of his sexual fantasies. Now he's with a prostitute. A Philistine woman. And he goes on to tell us that when he got ready to leave at midnight, they had laid an ambush for him and uh, they had closed the gate and locked it with the bar across it and assuming that there would not be any kind of conflict until in the morning and he decided he would show them and so he tears the whole thing off its bolts, puts it on his shoulder and walks almost 40 miles. <sighs> Do you see pride? Do you see unteachable? Do you see lustful, sensuality, just unbelievably unrestrained? And I was thinking as I was preparing it, you know, Samson lived in a very sensualized, sensual culture. <laughs> so do we. So do we. Where sex and sensuality is used to sell everything from car parts to hamburgers. How will a young man cleanse his way? Beloved, you've got to stay in the Word. You've got to. It's what renews your mind. It's what washes us with the water of the Word. It's what cleanses our thought life. It's what gives us the mind of Christ so that when we operate through the day as we have to navigate all of these opportunities to stumble into sin, we say, no, no, that's not of the Lord. Paul said, walk worthy of your high calling in Jesus Christ. Beloved, that can only be done when you and I have saturated our hearts and mind with the Word of God. Well, not only do we see revenge, we see revelry. And oh my goodness, oh my goodness, this man first has the encounter with the prostitute and now he introduces us, the writer of Judges introduces us to Delilah. Now some commentators think she may actually have been a temple prostitute. We do not know. She may have been a prostitute. We don't know that either. But at whatever reason, she had no moral compass and he is attracted to her. The scripture does not say emphatically that she was a Philistine, but it appears she was by her relationship to the leaders who offer her a lot of money if she can just find out the secret of his strength. And she commits to do that. And you will recall from the story that three times Samson tells her what is not true and she begins to badger him. In verse 16, it came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. She about killed him with her nagging. And so he told her all that was in his heart. The scripture says, guard your heart. Out of it flows the issues of life. But he revealed all of it to her. A razor can never come on my head because I've made a Nazarite. I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. I am, if I am shaved, then my strength will leave me. And I will become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw 
that he had told her all that was in his heart. She sent and called the lords of the Philistines and said, Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. And then the lords of the Philistines, they crept in. They came up to her, brought the money in his hands, and she made him sleep. Beloved, I can't help but believe that wine is involved in this, and possibly she drugged him as well. He's sound asleep heavily sedated I would say he fell asleep and she called for a man and he shaved off the seven locks of his hair and then she began to afflict him perhaps poke him or pinch him to see if indeed his strength had left him and and then she said the Philistines are upon you Samson and he woke from his sleep and he said I will go out as all the other times and shake myself free and then they seized him because he did not know, verse 20, he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Beloved, when you and I operate in carnality, we become so dull to the Spirit's promptings. You recall that he speaks to us in a still small voice. He does not shout. He does not raise his voice. And if you and I are going to hear him, Every day we need to get quiet before him and say, speak, Lord, speak. I am listening. I have turned my ear towards you, so speak, Lord. You and I have to quiet ourselves, and it's getting harder and harder and harder to do in the culture in which we live. Satan, who is called the prince of the power of the air, beloved, he is using the airways in ways he's never had access to before. The internet and all of that, smartphone, social medias, he is capitalizing on it. And you and I need to be so careful that day by day by day we're in God's Word, reading it with the intention to obey it, memorizing it, meditating on it, operating in that realm so that our mind will be renewed so that we can recognize the temptations of the flesh. Oh, Samson, Samson, had you just, just stopped at some point and turn back to the Lord and he would not he would not and the saddest testimony is there in verse 20 he didn't even know the Lord had departed from him the carnal believer thinks they're operating in the spirit because the flesh has become so familiar to them they're just mimicking works of righteousness didn't even know the glory had departed. And so verse 21, they seized him, gorged out his eyes, and they imprisoned him. But there's this little glimmer of hope. Verse 22, the hair on his head began to grow again. Let me quickly take you now through the next scene. The people, the Philistines, are celebrating because they have captured the, uh, captured Samson and they have imprisoned him taken out his eyes and so they're having this huge celebration to celebrate their god Dagon he was the god of grain it's sort of interesting that the very first strike he did against the Philistines was to burn all their grain and somehow I think in that they were making fun showing that their god Dagon was greater than the god Jehovah they simply did not know who they were engaging because our God is faithful he is faithful and he was at work all the time behind the scenes moving about kingdom work really despite Samson because God's work will not be thwarted 
the Bible says? And beloved, praise God, kingdom work is not dependent on my obedience or yours. Now, may I say, walking in obedience, so much better. Because God wants to engage you in it, but he will not use a dirty vessel. And just like when uh, Esther was in the palace, and Mordecai said, Esther, who knows? Who knows? You've been put in this place for such a time as this. But here's the deal, Esther. You don't want to play? You don't want to operate in God's realm? You don't want to do what he's called you to do? He'll raise up another. Because his plans won't be thwarted. But that doesn't mean you and I won't get counted out. That's what happened in Samson's life. But his hair begins to grow. Now let me be abundantly clear as I move into this next section, which I called restoration, that the power was not in his hair. His hair was a reflection of his commitment to God. And it seems, beloved, from the text, although again commentators disagree on this point, I'm going to give it to you the way I believe the Lord showed it to me, was that during this time when he was in prison and he has lost his physical sight, that his spiritual sight becomes very sharpened. And I believe there in that darkened cell, I believe there as they mocked him and mistreated him and abused him, I believe he began to do business with God. And the story goes on that they wanted to mock Samson. They asked for him to be brought in. Verse 26, he said to the boy who had been leading him, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I might lean against them. Now there were over 30, uh, there were over 3,000, many more than that, and all the leaders of the Philistines. And he prays unto the Lord. Samson, verse 28, called to the Lord. Oh Lord God, please remember me. And please strengthen me just at this time. Oh God, that I might once be avenged of the Philistines for my eyes. I believe that's a reference to him saying to the Lord, Now I see, now I see. And Lord, would you please in this last moment, this last opportunity, strengthen me to do what you had called me to do from my mother's womb that I never did. I walked in disobedience, but I believe he has repented of that and God has forgiven him because God answers his prayer. And the Bible says you regard iniquity in your heart. The Lord will not heal you, hear you. Not only that, oh, this is so sweet. He uses three different names of God in his prayer. The first, Yahweh. The second, Adonai, which means Lord and Master. The third, Elohim, Creator God. I believe he's had revival. I believe he's turned his prison into a pulpit. I believe he has restored his relationship with the Lord. And he is able to push down the temple. It collapses on the Philistines. He was able to do in his very last act what God had called him to do and would have blessed if he had been willing to return and repent. Oh, his, his life demonstrates a life indulging the flesh. It should stand to us as a cautionary tale and a reminder that even as believers, you and I are capable of operating in the flesh and not the spirit. That's one of the primary lessons, but oh God, help me, help me declare this message. Here, beloved, is the glory of it all. Our God's faithful. It does not matter how far you have wandered it does not matter what you have done 
I tell you, if you will return in repentance and faith, our God will receive you back as one of your own. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Beloved, this is my last time to get to teach with you. Next week, Donald will bring our final lesson that will conclude our study of Judges. This has been a daunting study, but praise God, through it all, we've seen the faithfulness of the Lord. If you are here today and you are outside a personal relationship with Christ, I want to tell you, I've prayed every week for you that you would come, that today would be the day that you would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You would invite him into his, your heart. You would believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. If you're here today and you're a prodigal, there was a time you were walking close with God, but you have wandered away. You can come back. And here's the incredible thing. You will look up and find the Father with his arms open wide, running to receive you. Samson is a story of restoration and hope in our faithful God. And beloved, if you are here today and you are spirit-filled and you have determined you are going to walk in the ways of the Lord, as for you and your house, you're going with God, then may I tell you, press on, beloved, press on. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the story of Samson. It's such a challenging one. In fact, all of the book of Judges, we, we just see people so wrecked with sin. And yet, through it all, this thread, of your faithfulness. God, it stuns us, it startles us. It causes us to think, who am I, Lord, that you would love one such as I? And yet the Bible says that in Christ, we are your beloved. In Christ, we're redeemed and forgiven. In Christ, we're chosen before the foundation of the world. In Christ, blessed with every spiritual blessing. In Christ Jesus, in Christ, adopted into the family of faith. In Christ, sealed forever the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, help us to live up to our privilege. But help us to be on guard. For the flesh is a powerful enemy. Wicked and cruel. And it seeks every, every crack in our armor to flood in. Father, may we put on the full armor of God and stand against every wiles of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Would you bless my beloved sisters in the Lord? And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen and amen. God bless you.